0: Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. All right, so let me give my plug for Simple Church too. And I'm sorry, I don't have any chocolate candy to give out. I want to tell you just a couple interesting things that have happened to me with Simple Church. Don and I were visiting Don Upchurch, who had a stroke last fall. He used to be out in the hallway as one of our great greeters and just welcomers, leaders here at the church. But Don had this stroke, and he was in his nursing home over in Emmitsburg, and Don and I went to see him. And, and as we were talking to him, he began to, he was struggling with getting his sentences out, and he was saying... Two men came to see me, basically after kind of mentioning some of it, and we'd ask more questions. And, and he said, two men came to see and we said, who were the two men? And he said, church. And we were trying to figure out, well, who were the two men who came to see him from church? Because I'm thinking, were they Jehovah's Witnesses? Were they, you know, who were they? And he, he kind of was able to make it clear that it came from our church, from Littlestown Chapel, So we started asking questions. Well, was it, you know, Pastor Josh? Was it, you know, this guy and name this guy and name that guy and all that? And he kind of would say, no, no. And so I started, I pulled out Simple Church and I started going through some of the men. And um, I was wondering if it was some of the men from his growth group. And so I, I pulled up the page of Dick Bell and I tapped Dick's picture and, there, and I held it up, and he says, yes. And then we were trying to figure out, well, who was the other guy? And I started going, well, who else is in his growth group? And I wondered if it was Chris Boyd, and I tapped the picture of Chris Boyd, and it zoomed out like that, and I held it, up. he goes, yes, like that. So Chris and Dick came to see you, yes, like that. And I go, thank you, Simple Church. We were able to communicate because of that. I'm so grateful for this app on my phone because I can find where you live. If the information is in here, I can just tap on it. It gives me a map of how to get to your house if I need to. It gives the phone numbers, the contacts. It's really helpful. Some churches print the church directories with the glossy photos from different uh, photography studios and things like that. As soon as they're printed, they're out of date. And this is something that's like a, a church directory on your phone and it really, really helps. And I want to encourage you to please consider utilizing that on your phone okay as well that'll help you uh, one other little thing um, sometimes when I'm talking to kids here at church and they're in a family I go okay which kid is that Nick or Nate Nate or Nick Nick or Nate I can't tell I don't remember okay I have to pull it out and I can look at it and I go that's who it is all right that's really helpful you can save face doing that that's a always a helpful little thing if that matters to you okay All right, the freels as they were reminding us about Vacation Bible School today, and I'm so excited about VBS, and I hope you're excited about it too, but they reminded us that the world we live in is actually a very dangerous place for our children. There's also a really important announcement in the bulletin about a great movie that Family Life Today has put together called uh, Like Arrows, and it's just a reminder of the, the, the challenges of parenting and the need to be wise parents, but then also it gives uh, God's truth in how to become a better parent. And I encourage you to take a look at that in your bulletin this week. But in all of this, we, we see this need to be the best parents we can be because of the world that we're living in. It's a very dark and dangerous place. And even if you're not raising children in your house right now, even if you're not a grandparent, just about every time I talk to somebody and the subject of the news comes up, there's all kinds of like, oh man, this stuff going on with North Korea and the stuff happening in Washington and the confusion and the riots and, and the, the violence and, and, and the different diseases that are out there and all this kind of stuff. When you and I read the news, it's, e- it's easy to become so discouraged and to think that this world is such a dangerous, dark, and, and wicked place, evil place. And the truth is, it is like that. The world we live in is like that. And we have to understand that. But the thing that God wants you and I to understand is that even though this world is a dark place, even though it's full of violence and, and wickedness, it is a time, the days we live in, it is a time of opportunity. It is a time where God's grace can be displayed in our world. It is a time where we truly can, as we raise our children, as we serve in a church, as we're good neighbors in a community and let our light shine there, we truly can make a difference in this world and be vehicles of bringing God's grace into this very dark world and time that we live in. And the passage of Scripture that we wanna look at today gives us two key ingredients for living with the kind of skill that's necessary to turn the dark days into opportunities to display God's grace, to really let our light shine. And in a sense, as we're transformed, then indeed we can even transform the world that we live in. And that's what I want to show you today. It's a short passage of Scripture. It's an important passage of Scripture. And just because it's short doesn't mean it's not significant because it actually, in a very clear way, summarizes the most important command we're given in all of the New Testament. Really, the essential command when it comes to becoming a transformed person, allowing God to change our lives, change our families, change the community that we live in. And so I'd like to invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. And I want you to look there in that passage. We're going to look at this paragraph, it's on page 978 if you'd like to use the Bible from the chair in front of you, or again, as Pastor Josh reminded you, you can pull out your smartphone, and if you log on to the internet through the, the, the Wi-Fi service here at the church, you're able to follow along as well. So I encourage you to do that. But look at the passage of Scripture, and I want us to be reading it together and thinking about it together as well. This passage is short enough that I think we should just read it out loud together. So we're going to do that today, and it'll help you wake up a little bit, okay? So this is Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. We're going to read down to verse 21, and it's on page 978. Okay, let's read together, ready? Look carefully, then, how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage, as Paul is challenging the believers here, he is very honest in saying, look, the days we're living in are very difficult. They were facing persecution. They were facing resistance from the Roman government. They were facing opposition from both the Jewish religion and the pagan religions around them. Many of the people that were in the church at Ephesus were, un- uh, were uh, out of a pagan background. Some of them had been slaves. Others of them had been uh, living in poverty. And now they're, they're trying to grow in their relationship with Christ. And they're trying to serve Him and follow Him. And there's so much opposition to what they're doing that it really looks like evil days. Maybe you feel like the days you're living in are evil days. Maybe your family's going through some major struggles. Maybe the doctor gave you news this week that made you think that you're going through evil days because the medical report wasn't as positive as you were hoping for. Maybe your plant that you're working at, they're thinking about shutting it down. Maybe the school that you work and teach at is not as led, not led as well as you would like. Or maybe the parents aren't appreciative of your work as a teacher. Whatever it is that you're going through that seems so discouraging, Paul is trying to say to us, these dark days can become grace displays through God's wisdom. We can turn the dark days that we live in into displays of God's grace through God's wisdom. Now, when he tells us here in verse 15, he starts off by saying, you need to look carefully then how you walk. You need to look carefully at how you behave. You need to think about how you're living your life, and are you living your life in a way that truly honors God? And is it really something that displays the grace of God? Is it really led by God? Are you living that way? Look at, look at it, it carefully and examine it. It's interesting. In Celebrate Recovery, one of the things that we talk about, one of the 12 steps that we, we follow in our, our growth into maturity and freedom from the hurts, habits, and hang-ups we have, one of the things that we have to do in the middle of all that is do a moral inventory. And how we've been hurt in the past, what are the things that we struggle with, what are the causes and effects, and we just, it's a lot of prayer, it's a lot of alone time, it's writing with a piece of paper, and then taking what we found over hours of examination and prayerful looking at ourselves, then sharing it with someone whom we love and whom lo- who love us, whom we trust, and they help us talk through it and pray through it and look at the cause and effect relationships in our lives. It's a big step on the road to recovery. It's really helpful, but it's very painful to do that. A lot of us in our quiet times could do something very similar. Not so agonizing, but to take the time and ask, well, I'm struggling with this person, why am I struggling with them? And instead of just saying, well, they're a jerk, (laughs) or they're stupid, or they're just so self stuck up and self-centered. Instead of blaming it on them, just saying, well, what have I done to contribute to this negative aspect of our relationship? What have I done to make my marriage sour? What have I done to not be able to get along with the people? What have I done? What am I responsible for? What do I need to clean up? That's, you can practice the same kind of thing each day. That's what he's talking about here. Take a good, long, hard look at your own life. Examine it how you're behaving, how you're treating other people. What's your thinking process? What's your vocabulary like? What do you say? What do you focus on? How have you used your time? Look at your calendar. Look at your day planner. How have you spent your time? Look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statement. How have you been spending your money? What are you doing? Look at all of those things. Is it really honoring God or not? And he's saying here, look carefully how how you walk. Look carefully at how you behave, because you need to make sure that you're not behaving as a foolish person, but instead you're behaving as a wise person. Now, the difference between foolishness and wisdom is this. Foolishness rejects the will of God. Wisdom embraces the will of God. Foolishness says, I've got this, and I can handle it all by myself. It's not somebody who's stupid or mentally deficient, you know, low IQ. It's not that. That's not foolishness. You can have high IQ and be very foolish. You can be very smart and intelligent, have a PhD, and and been to school all your life, and still be a very foolish person. And you can be somebody that's never graduated from high school, hasn't even earned a GED, maybe doesn't even really know how to read very well, and you can become a very wise person because it's a moral choice. Am I going to follow God's will, do His will, or am I going to reject God's will and do things my own way? The fool says he's right in his own eyes. The wise person says, I'm not right in my own eyes. I need to follow God's will for my life. That's wisdom. Okay. Foolishness doesn't fear anybody. Foolishness says, I've got this. The wise person says, I fear God. I put Him first and I want to follow His will. Something else that's important here about this word, wi- uh, wisdom, to be wise, the word from the Hebrew, and then that concept is carried over into the New Testament as well. It's the idea of skill, being able to skillfully live, having the skill to accomplish your job. And so think about the work that you do in life and what, what have you gone through to come to this place where you can do that job, your career. Maybe you apprenticed somewhere. Maybe you went to university and you got a degree in this. You had to though, then go get a license or be certified or uh, go through some kind of internship and, and practicums. And you learned and you trained. You went to an academy. You learned these things and you were mentored and, and you developed a set of skills to be able to do the job that you have. What well, Paul is using here as the Holy Spirit inspires him. The days we live in are so dark and evil and dangerous, you need training to know how to live right. You need to develop a set of skills to be able to live right. And as we learn these skills, then we're able to make the kinds of choices that lead these dark days into becoming grace displays. And it all changes, it's all transformed through the grace of God, through the wisdom of God as we let Him give us the skills To live and honor him. He says very clearly here we need to develop this wisdom by making the best use of our time. Verse 16 says this by making the best use of our times because the days are evil. We've talked about that already. How do you make the best use of your time? Well, you're probably remembering, some of you, you grew up reading the King James version of the Bible with all its these and thou's and such, but this verse was translated redeeming the time. You remember that? Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. And the way you redeem the time, and it's, it's the idea of buying something and purchasing something, and so I think what they're trying to get across is your time is valuable. How are you using it? Do you just waste it? on satisfying your own desires and appetites, on frivolous things that don't matter, don't last? Or do you take that limited amount of time, but the same amount of time that everybody else has, do you take those 24 hours every day and invest them in things that really matter? Like your relationships, like learning to know God better and walking with Him, like preparing for the future. Do you invest the time you have in the things that really matter? And so in our uh, vernacular today, our lingo, we would say, make the most of the opportunities. That's the concept that he has here. But notice, even though he calls the days evil, he says there's still opportunities. It's important to notice that. Now when he talks about the days being evil, he's using a word that just, it's the idea of a malignancy. And so there are types of cancer that are just little tumors and they just stay there and they don't really spread. They may be unsightly, they may be uncomfortable, but they really don't hurt you. But then there's types of tumors that are so aggressive that they just will continue to spread through your body until it kills you. And that's the word, the idea, the picture of, of the evil in our world today. Maybe a, a simple way to illustrate it is like this. There are two men, two men go in the bar. This is not a joke, I promise. Two men go into a bar and the one guy sits in the corner and drinks himself drunk and he's there by himself. That's one kind of evil. But then there's the guy that walks into the bar and he drinks himself drunk and buys everybody else beers and gets them drunk and just leads them to really have a big old party and, and destroy everything in the place, trash the place. Just that encouraging everybody else to go do the bad stuff too. That's the culture that we're living in. That's why we want to do Vacation Bible School, to help families hear the truth and help children learn how to choose God and follow Him. But that's also why we preach the word of God here at church and why we have kids church and why we do all of these things and why we do growth groups is to help equip you with the skills to be able to choose to go against the flow of the evil culture and to have the skills to make the most of these same days that are so evil and turn them into opportunities to experience the grace of God and display the grace of God in your life. And so the challenge here is to develop those kinds of skills. Well, how do we do that? Where do we get that kind of skill to change these evil days into grace displays? How do we do that? Well, he gives us two basic ideas in this paragraph, two concepts. First, there's a a knowledge component, an information component, we can say. And then there's an, an action component, something that we need to do because of what we know. So look what he says. He says, we need to make the most of the the best use of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore, because of this, do not be foolish, but rather be understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is the information component, the knowledge component, what you need to learn. What you need to learn is God's will. You and I need to learn what God wants us to do. What's his plan for your life and my life? Well, where do we learn what God's will is? How do you know what God's will is? You learn it for sure from the pages of this book. And so he's telling us, don't be ignorant of God's will. Don't be foolish. Don't be, and literally the word there means ignorant. Don't be ignorant of what God's will is, but instead understand it. And again, it's not just the idea of learning something like I can memorize what God's will is. I can quote it, give you a definition, give you examples. It's more than just defining it, more than being able even to explain it, more than just understanding the connections between the different aspects of his will in my life. It's bigger than that. It involves the application of it as well. So I have a responsibility to see how God's will applies to my life. And that's what we're having in this chapter. He's been talking about in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, and he's going to go into chapter 6. And he's showing us what we need to do in light of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And so the emphasis in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 is to individually change and allowing him to transform us. By putting off the old and putting on the new and understanding how does that transformation take place? How do we renew our minds through the truth of God's Word? That's what transforms us. But after this little paragraph that we're looking at right now, he's going to shift and he's going to start talking about, well, what does it look like in practical relationships? The relationships that everybody here has. So whether you're single or married, it affects the way you relate to other people. Whether you have children or you don't have children, it affects how you relate to other people. And so the challenge here for us is, is to let God's wisdom shape how we behave, the application of it. And so beginning next week, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to spend a couple weeks looking, talking about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting and then talk about your job. Because all of us here need some wisdom when it comes skill when it comes to working our jobs. And some of us really need help when it comes to working on our marriages, right? Okay. Here he's challenging us though to make sure that we're applying God's will to our lives and not be ignorant of what God's will is for us. So that's the knowledge factor. We've got to be learning and understanding what the will of God is for our lives. And we learn that through the pages of God's word. And again, as we've said, whether you like to read or not, whether it's easy for you to read and understand things or not, you need to somehow figure out how to get God's truth into your life. By listening to it, by letting other people read it to you, by reading it yourself, studying it yourself, watching someone else read it and teach it and explain it. Whatever it is, you need some kind of way to be learning God's truth and remembering it. Someone challenged me yesterday and it was very helpful as she's thinking about her own life and how to live and how to handle the different challenges that she faces in life, she would pick little sections of Scripture, maybe a verse or two, and she would write it out on Sunday or Monday on a 3x5 card. And she just would review it throughout the day. She carried it with her, pulled it out, and she just would read it out loud. She just would do that every day. The next day, when Tuesday came, she'd put that card away. She'd pull out another 3x5 card, and she'd write the verse one more time all over again you are saying, why did she do it again she already did it wasn't she still had the card she wanted to write it again because writing it helped her learn it so she would take you know three or four minutes write the verse out on that three by five card and there is something I know we're so digital and we we type and do word processing but there's something about a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen that really helps you learn even better than when you type something out or you tap it into your phone I really I want to encourage you to use don't forget your paper and pen So she writes it out again, and she carries it with her in her purse, pulls it out of a pocket. She's reviewing it during the day while she's at home, while she's out running errands, while she's with her grandkids, and she just learns it again. Wednesday comes. She puts that card away. She pulls another three-by-five card out. She writes the verse all over again, and she carries it around and reviews it, and she says by Friday or Saturday, she's been able to almost memorize the verse Not through a lot of hard work, but just through the constant review. And she's plugging that truth into her mind. And it's shaping how she relates to all the people around her and how she views life herself. It transforms her. That's what God's Word does. It will help you. So make the time for God's Word. Plan sometime during their day to learn God's Word. You can do that. It's not just a knowledge component. There's an action or power component that we need to have. And this is what really is the secret to transforming dark days into grace displays. It's through the Spirit of God He does this. The Word of God brings about a change on the inside. It's the Spirit of God who has the power to actually transform us. In verse 18, it says, Don't get drunk on wine. I think everybody here would agree that drunkenness is really a foolish waste of time. The Bible doesn't forbid drinking, but it does forbid drunkenness. And one thing that I think is interesting, I was just reminded of this this week, doing a little research on this, is that, you know, the alcoholic beverages that they consumed in the first century basically were limited to wine and beer. Distillation, the process of making hard liquor, wasn't developed until about eight or 900 years later. So it's just, it's kind of a reminder that when we say, you know, I can take a little bit and drink a little bit and socially be acceptable and fit in with others and look smooth and sophisticated and all that, that, that's fine, but just don't let it control your life. That's the danger. There are too many people, I've met too many people that struggle with alcohol and alcoholism and drunkenness. And it just reminds me, I don't want to do anything that would encourage them or make it sound like it's okay for them to drink because it's not. They need to run away from it as far as I can. So I just say, I'm not going to. I'm not saying you have to. The Bible does say you have to avoid drunkenness. You have to stay away from that. So it says, do not get drunk with wine. Don't do that. Don't let the wine control your life. And some of us, honestly, I just want to say that when you're out on Facebook and you look around and see what people, the way people talk about wine and talk about beer and talk about things like that, they might not go out and get drunk, but it's a big deal in their life. It's a big deal. And I'm just asking, is it as big a deal as it should be? Is it really that important? Or do people understand that you're a follower of Jesus? Just just think about that. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It leads to unmanageable, out-of-control behavior. Don't live like that. But instead, look what it says. Be filled with the Spirit. Not the spirits, but with the spirit. You get, yeah, chuckle, chuckle. Okay. Be filled with the spirit. This is a command. You and I are called and commanded to be filled with God's spirit, his empowering presence. We're to say, Come and inhabit me. Come fill me up. I want to live in you. We talk about people that uh, we say, Oh, he's filled with sadness because he's grieving. Or she's filled with joy because she just got a promotion. And everything about her, she's just bubbly and excited. and It doesn't matter what happens. There's such a joy filling her heart. Or he, there's such a sadness filling his life because he's just consumed with that grief. This principle here is be filled with the Spirit, talking about the presence of God. Let God's Spirit, let His presence overwhelm you. Now, if you're drunk, you allow that alcohol to be at such a level in your bloodstream that it affects, it it influences you, and it changes your behavior. And whether you become a happy drunk or a mean drunk, I don't know, but it changes you. And I think by using this analogy of alcohol and drinking and, and being under the influence, he's saying, let the Holy Spirit... Be the power that influences you. Live under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. And what that means is that even though you're brokenhearted, you still can serve and you can still help and you can still find joy even in the sorrow. And when you're struggling with that temptation, you feel like everything inside of you wants to give in. Name, Name the habit. Name the thing you want to give in to to do. It's God's Spirit who comes upon you and helps you resist that and say, no, I'm going to do what's right. And when you know God has given you an opportunity, He's laid it out right before you to share the gospel with a friend or a neighbor, one of your kids or your grandkids, and you're scared, and you're thinking, oh, I can't ever say that. I can't ever speak up. I'm, I'm nobody. I, don't, I can't be a witness. The Holy Spirit, when you say, Spirit, fill me, He will give the desire and the power to speak up to be a witness, to be able to be a testimony to others of the grace of God in your life. He can change you. He can do that just like alcohol influences you and me. When we get too much of it, you can't get too much of God's spirit. Now some of you are thinking, well, you drink too much alcohol and you lay on the floor and you vomit. You lay on the floor and people trip all over you or you're, you're driving your car, you're gonna wreck or, or you get in an argument and you break things or you do things that you would never do in public. I remember one time walking home from a parade with my kids and my in-laws. We, we were at a parade in Hagerstown. It was evening and we were walking home and there was a guy in front of us just weaving all over the sidewalk. And it was very clear that he'd had one too many beers as he was watching the parade. Another time, same place where we lived, came around the corner of the church, there was a man right on a public street corner. He's just urinating in the corner of the church. And it was very clear that he was under the influence as well. Didn't even know what he was doing. You've seen that. You know that. Maybe you've been like that. point I'm trying to make is is that when you live under the influence of the alcohol you will do things that you would not normally do when you live under the influence of God's Holy Spirit you will do things that you would not normally do that are actually good and right and positive the things that normally fear stops you from doing and and habits stop you and and the fear of other people stop you from doing the things that you know God wants you to do Maybe you think if you live under the spirit, under the influence of the Spirit that I'll have to go be a missionary in Africa and that's the last thing I want to do. I don't think you need to worry about that. But if it's loving your enemy, I think he'll help you do that. And if it's saying no to a temptation, I think, I think that'll happen too. And if it's really truly being patient with your spouse or your child or your elderly parents, the Spirit will help you do that. You know what? Those are good things, aren't they? Of course they are be filled with the Spirit this is a command it's not an option it's a command that's to happen all the time its continual its present tense that means you need to keep doing it keep letting the Spirit control you and that's really what the word filling means it's the idea of being under its control allowing the presence of God to control my life now what happens when you do that look what it says This isn't so bad. This is actually wonderful. As you live under the influence of the Spirit, you'll be addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You'll become a worshiper. You'll become a worshiper. You'll give praise to God and you will honor Him. And not only that will you worship God, but you'll actually build up and bless and encourage other Christians as well. That's why it was such a joy to hear you sing this morning. I guess you're all really Spirit-filled or something. I don't know. Your singing was a blessing to me. It was an encouragement to me in my faith. As you're filled with the Spirit, you'll become a worshiper. And you'll honor God that way. Then notice verse, and notice that it comes out of your heart. Maybe your voice isn't that great. Mine isn't. But can you sing and worship God out of the heart? It'll change your heart and you'll want to worship. If you say, I don't like singing, I don't like worshiping. And you know, I skip the worship and I just come for the other part of the service or, you know, I just stand there and just kind of stare at the ceiling while all the music's going on. You need to ask, do I really have the Holy Spirit in my heart? Am I really letting the Holy Spirit fill me? Because He will lead you to worship. And then, and by the way, this whole uh, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the Bible scholars argue back and forth what do these words mean and what's the difference between them? And I honestly don't know I do know that psalms were songs that Jewish people sang in worship and hymns were songs that Gentile, uh, the Greek and Roman people sang in the worship of their gods and spiritual songs are songs that the Holy Spirit produces. And so I think really what he's trying to say is whether you like this style of music or you like that style of music, if the Holy Spirit is leading the singing and leading the worshiping, just jump in and sing. Let the Spirit fill you and lift your voice in song. Listen to the message, share the message, because you're not only bringing glory to God, you're also building up the brothers and sisters that are here. That's an important thing. But then notice verse 20. Not only does the Holy Spirit lead us to become worshipers, but he leads us to a new perspective on our own lives. It results in giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think your perspective changes when you're filled with the Spirit. And all of a sudden you understand that even though the days are evil and even though there's all kinds of wickedness and violence around us and even though we're scared to death that we're going to be contaminated and led astray by it, these are still days of opportunities because God's at work. God still is caring about you and loving you and has sent Christ to die for you and live for you so that you can honor Him and worship Him. And trust in Him. And so as you go through life, not only are you worshiping as you let the Spirit fill you, but you're also getting a change in your perspective and you're thankful for what God has done. I'm no longer held down by my, the sin and shame of my life. I'm no longer held captive by these habits. I'm no longer burdened by these hurts. I'm no longer bound up and, 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 and controlled by these negative thoughts in my mind, the things I have hang ups about. I don't have to be controlled by that anymore. God's Spirit sets me free from that because now I can be giving thanks to Him. It's a change in perspective. He transforms that. So many of us, <laughs> You know, I, I meet with different people during the week and I say, how are you doing? Man, I'm tired. Man, it was really rough at work. Man, do you, do you know what my wife said to me this week? Do you know what he did to me? Man, money is really tough. And, and all I ever, a lot of times all I ever hear is, is all the sad, bad stuff that's going on in people's lives. Some of you have jobs where the, the thing, when you interact with people, all you hear about are the complaints and all you hear about are the rough stuff. Your employees, your fellow workers, the public, the children, whoever they are, you're constantly hearing that. There's only one way to shake that negativity and that darkness in your life, and that is to remember that God did this, and I want to give him praise. God blessed me with his family. God gave us a safe place to live. God's provided for us. God has given me this country. Look, at, look we finally are having a spring day. This is wonderful. What a blessing. I wasn't sure, but here it is. God's helped me. God sent me encouragement. Someone challenged me that one of the things that I could do to resist, to, to, to shake off the level of discouragement in my life is just before I go to bed, give thanks for five, 10 things. What am I thankful for? Can you do that? And not just say, you know, the air, the dandelions, you know, I could go inside and run the air conditioner, so I don't have pollen. You know, you can, okay. You know, all that is good. But remember too what Christ has done for you. He forgave me. He took away my shame. He gives me hope. He sent me His Spirit, and the Spirit gave me courage today to do what was right, even though you don't feel like it. It will change you not only into becoming a worshiper, but it will change you into becoming a person with a correct God-centered perspective. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. But here's a big one, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It will transform your relationships. When you're filled with God's spirit, all of a sudden you will be able to have a perspective where you say, I don't care about what I get. I wanna make sure that your needs are met. I wanna put you first, after you. Allow me to serve you. It's that serving, it's that caring, it's that sharing. Now, we're gonna get into the discussion about family life and it's gonna talk about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving un- unselfishly their wives and children obeying their parents So we're gonna see all of that. But all of this is predicated by this idea that if you are a true spirit-filled Christian, you submit to the people around you. Even if you're a person of authority, you're a parent, you still submit and serve your kids. Even if you're a person that our government has given authority to as a leader in our community, or you're a teacher, or you're the boss, or you're in the government and you have some sort of responsibility over others, there's still an attitude that should govern your leadership. I'm not saying that you let go of your responsibility. You still need to take responsibility and still lead and lead well, but you do it with a spirit of submission where how do I help and guide the people that I'm leading? How do I help them? How do I help my kids, really, even though I'm in authority over them, how do I help them really discover all that God has for them? How do I serve them? What do they need right now? What does my wife need right now? What does my husband need right now? What do my parents need right now? What does my neighbor, what do my, the children in my Sunday school class, what do the people in my growth group, what do they need right now? How do I serve them and submit to them? And the idea of submission is, is you rank yourself in authority under them and I'm going to put you first and we're commanded to do that to each other so it's not about me and me becoming the center of the universe me having people worship me or honor me or serve me it's me instead learning to be a servant and learning to put others first and care for them One Bible scholar said, I think it's very significant, that these are actually ways that you go about being filled with the Spirit. Worship should help you grow in your relationship with God's Spirit. And giving thanks helps you get centered on and recognizing all that God has done for you. And when you submit to others, you're inviting the Holy Spirit into your relationships, and that fills you with the Spirit as well. I think he's on to something there. But these three things, worship, giving thanks, and submitting and serving others. This is what I do to put myself in orbit around Jesus Christ. This is what I do to say, here's the steering wheel, Jesus. Come in and take the wheel and lead my life. This is what I do to put him on the throne of my life and I bow down and I submit to him. I want you to fill me. I wanna do your will. I want to take these dark days and transform them into displays of your grace. And I know that only happens through your wisdom, your skill. I know your will through your word, but I'm yielding to you, Holy Spirit, and I want you to lead me. When I do that, Jesus Christ is first. And it draws me back to him, and I surrender to him so that I can follow him with all my heart. So these are dark days. But are you letting the Holy Spirit lead you? And one of the cool things about living in this area is we're near Cadorus. Is you get to see, every now and then you get to see the eagles. Have you seen the bald eagles different times? We were driving down Old Hanover Road and this big old bald eagle just swooped down right over us. I thought he was going to try to pick us up. I wasn't sure. But he just swooped right by and go, wow, and I'm kind of driving like this. And, you know, thankfully nobody else was on the road at that time. And it was just amazing. I was just overwhelmed just seeing the bird like that fly over us. You know, when, when eagles fly, they, they learn. I mean, there's a, there's a way that they instinctually know to, to fly. When, when they're about two months old after they've hatched, and they feel a heavy breeze. Those little eaglets stand up in the nest. And they actually put their wings out, and you can see their, their feathers get ruffled by the breeze. And they're, they're learning. They're feeling that breeze. They're recognizing that. And when they're about four months old, they finally jump out of the nest. And the thing is, as they jump out of the nest and hop onto a branch, they, they actually begin to fall, and then they start flapping their wings as hard as they can, and they actually get off the ground. But then they wind up landing on the ground, and, and they have to keep working at it, and eventually get, they develop enough strength that the, the force of the air that they're beating down is able to lift them. But as they're rising and flapping and expending all this strength, they're looking for thermals. Do you know what a thermal is? It's an updraft up of warm air. And as this warm air is, dr- is rising over the ground or whatever it is, as it's rising, those eagles will get into those updrafts and they just get carried higher and higher and higher. And if you watch them, they've just got their wings out. It's almost like they're just kind of just sailing. They're not working at all. They're just able to sail on the breeze, the wind. They're able to do that. No effort at all. Can I make a suggestion that walking in the spirit is a lot like catching a thermal? In fact, did you know that the word spirit, it's the it's Greek word pneuma, where we get pneumatic from, pneumonia. But it's the idea of a, of a breeze of wind, a current of air. As you and I, yes, we have to obey, Yes, we have to trust God. That's like flapping our wings. But if we catch the Spirit and allow the Spirit to fill our lives, He carries us. And we can rise. You know, gravity is still in force. But the laws of aerodynamics overrule gravity. And you're able to rise and soar. And I think if we were willing to let the Spirit fill us and let His wind carry us, then you would see a dramatic change and instead of being pulled down by selfishness and bitterness and lust and greed, instead of being pulled down by fear and anxiety, we would be able to soar and do His work and will, not just in my individual life but even as a church, for His honor and for His glory. I hope you'll soar. I hope you'll let God transform your dark days into grace displays through His Spirit and through his wisdom. And as you do that, people will see Jesus in you and give glory to his name. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the great privilege of being in your presence. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And my prayer is that you would guide us, that we would not be discouraged about these dark days, but instead that we would would just allow your spirit to fill us and control us continually, that we would make time for your word to fill our hearts and minds through reading and meditating on what it says. I ask that we would do that by your grace so that we can turn the dark days that we live in into opportunities to display your grace, to really make a difference, to lead others to Christ, to rebuild our broken marriages and relationships, to overcome the hurts and habits and hang-ups that we have in our lives to really become all that you meant us to be. I ask that, Lord, you would help us in this for your honor and for your glory. Fill us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.